Well, I'd like to give a very warm warm welcome to everyone here this evening. A warm welcome to those tuning in as well. And extend a welcome to those here too, to refreshments afterwards, which will be served in the hall. You're very welcome to stay on for that too. Well, this evening, uh, some of the hymns, or all of the hymns that Mark's chosen, um, have a, a strong theme about the greatness of God, about God being in charge, about God being sovereign. They have a sense of praise around that theme. So, to lead into the first one, I want to read just a few verses. Uh, you can just listen to them. They're from the start of Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Well, our first song then is, The Lord is King, Lift Up your voice. And after we've sung this through, uh, Tom Jarman's going to uh, do the reading for us. The Lord is King, lift up your voice, O earth and all you heavens rejoice. From world to world the song shall ring, the Lord omnipotent or the Lord almighty is King. Our first reading tonight is 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 1 and 2, which is on in the Chapel Bibles on page 299. 
After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And turning the page, we be reading from verse 17 to 40. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left, a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped round the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood on the altar and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know you, O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, that none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Thank you. And we look forward to Mark directing our thoughts to that powerful passage uh, later on in the service. Well, we sing our next hymn uh, together now. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the Ancient of Days.
Shall we join together in prayer? Let us pray. O Lord God of glory, our heavenly Father, we come in praise to you, stirred by the things that we have been singing in that hymn, giving thanks that you are the eternal God, the ancient of days, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Lord, we come to you amazed, Uh, We come to you in wonder at who you are. We are so fleeting and passing. Uh, Our years go so quickly. One generation passes to another. We're like the the flower of the field, which uh, uh, looks nice for just a little while and then soon withers. We're like the morning mist that passes away. And yet you are the everlasting God. And we come in praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we know you better. May we wonder at the unity and the perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at this uh, time of the year, when sometimes Pentecost is in our mind, we especially pray for the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives the lives of those around us, in our church and nation. Lord, we come praying for his convicting work, for we know the Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that is so necessary in our hearts and in the hearts of others. Lord, we know the Holy Spirit points to Christ. And we pray that those who have come to be familiar with their need and felt it deeply, may be pointed to the Saviour and find tremendous comfort and consolation and uh, run to him for safety and refuge. We pray that the Holy Spirit may teach us that the Spirit of truth will enlighten our eyes as to the truth in your word that we might know you better. We pray for the Holy Spirit to make us holy, that we might grow in likeness of Christ, as he is the Spirit of Christ. We pray for the fruit of the Spirit to be in abundance in our lives, with those different qualities which are so attractive and good and right, so sad when they're lacking and so wonderful where they are in full flow. We pray for the fruit of the Spirit in this church and in churches around to reflect your glory. We pray that the Holy Spirit may equip people for good works, sustain people in their service and ministry, and be used for the advance of the gospel and the building up of the church. Do grant then that he, the Holy Spirit, may be poured out in great measure upon us and upon our needy nation at this time. Lord, as we come together, we have the privilege of being here, of being healthy, of being able to hear your word. 
But we do want to remember those in our congregation in the times in the past who are unable to get out these days and who are largely confined to residential homes. We remember the Margarets, Margaret Payne in Millwood and Margaret Birch in Eastbourne and Margaret Diarth and her husband as well near Five Ashdown and pray that they may know blessing and comfort and encouragement where they are. We pray for Christine Bird as well as she gets weaker and as for so many years she's been confined to the home that she is in at Heron's Gill. We remember her before you. And Marion, more recently um, confined to a residential home, missing us, missing the independence of our flat here in Crowborough and finding life difficult. We thank you that she knows the comfort and encouragement of your word, that the Lord is good even though life is difficult. Bless her. And we think also of Dorothy Tudor in Horam as well and pray that all of these may rejoice in hope of the glory of God and know much blessing and spiritual strength in these difficult days. We remember the young as well at this time. We are so thankful for young people, for children in our congregation and we pray that uh, the up-and-coming generation may love your truth. We think of the camps at Root Hill this weekend and into next week, those that are going on them, that they may be times where your word comes with life and power into young lives. We pray for our own events later in the year, but which so much is planned for and prepared for around these months. We pray for the young people's holiday and we pray for the camps and all that the leaders do towards them, that they may prove really useful um, ministries in your service for your glory this year. We think wider and we pray for those who have uh, such a heart for overseas. Uh, we pray for James and Rachel that they might know your encouragement and blessing as They've had some hectic weeks in different places and now as they are more settled back in their normal calling of uh, the island of Cyprus, we pray that you would give them wisdom and strength and help in their service. And for their connections with Turkey and the relief aid there, that uh, that money may be channeled well and wisely and may be for your glory as the church shows compassion to those around. We remember the Saywells too in their different ministries in the Philippines and ask that they may be encouraged and blessed and given stamina that though they are a long way here from what might fill their homeland that they might be blessed and feel at home and encouraged in your work. We pray for Rosie as well in her time back here in the UK. Lord, we pray that you would encourage her and refresh her the different things she's involved with we pray it would help her in the different presentations she does around the churches, that that may prove timely and helpful as an encouragement to prayer and a challenge as well. And we pray that as time goes on and she gives her thoughts to returning uh, to Papua New Guinea, that you might guide her and lead her in that service as she goes forward and for the way forward in her life. Lord, we thank you that we can meet together around your word. 
And as we have this powerful passage uh, this, this evening opened up, we pray that the sense of challenge and decision that it brings may be used by you. We pray, Lord, that you would hear us, that, uh, that the people around us and the people here and the people listening and that we in our hearts might know that you are the Lord God. So bless us in our time together. Lead us onwards. Bring honour to your name. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, before Mark comes to preach to us, then we have our third song, which is In Awe and Wonder, Lord our God, we bow before your throne. Such holiness and burning love are yours and yours alone. And as we sing through the different verses of this hymn, we find our minds directed to different aspects of the glorious character of God, and hopefully we respond in a sense of praise as we sing along.
Good evening. Well, approximately 22,000 people live in Crowborough. I don't know how many of those go to Bible-believing churches, but I suspect it's a fair bit less than 1,000. You may know Christians in your workplace, um, but unless you work in a church like I do, I suspect the majority of them probably aren't Christians. In the most uh, recent census, those choosing Christianity as their religion dropped 13% since the last census, which was a decade previous to that. And the likelihood is that that 40 or so percent that did tick Christianity would probably, uh, a significant chunk of them would probably define Christianity different to how Jesus might define it. Christianity is now officially described as a minority religion in England and Wales. And there's a good number of uh, articles that celebrate that and that say this is good, we need more diversity, more diversity of religion, more diversity of ways to live in our country in the 21st century. How confident are you that God is reigning over everything? You know, when we're all here together on a Sunday, we can feel quite confident, can't we? Or maybe when we're on a camp together, feel that sense of confidence. But sometimes when we get into the everyday life, maybe of a Monday morning, sometimes God can feel, well, maybe a little bit weak. If you're not a Christian here tonight, firstly, welcome. But maybe one of the the reasons you're not a Christian is because there are so many people around you in the world that aren't Christians. Isn't where so many people aren't? Not many people are these days. Maybe Christianity just seems to you a bit weak. If that's you, I can understand some of why you feel like that. Maybe you are a Christian, but you're worried by some of those numbers. You see them dwindling, and you see the the dwindling influence of Christianity on our nation as well. And it worries you. I can understand as well, to some extent, why we might feel like that. But 1 Kings 18 encourages us. 1 Kings 18 tells us that numbers don't really matter. 1 Kings 18 tells us that God is, well, God. And he's reigning in power, whether it looks like it to us or not. And if God is God... And what should we do? Well, that's the question we're we're going to be heading towards tonight. That's what we're going to build up to. 1 Kings 18, I trust, will be challenging us this evening. At the beginning of uh, 1 Kings 18, we find ourselves in a severe famine. It hasn't rained for years, so the land is seriously parched. This isn't climate change. This isn't just unlucky. This is God fulfilling his promise. God had promised when he gave the Old Testament people the covenant. He said, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't obey me, then I will shut up the heavens. I will stop the rain. And this is God fulfilling that promise. And God's uh, prophet, Elijah, has come out of seemingly nowhere and has said to Ahab, there will be no more rain until I give it my say-so. Ahab is the king and he's properly evil. His dad was called Omri. And uh, in the the passage before this story, this is what it says about Omri. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all those who were before him. 
So he's achieved some level of evil. And yet Ahab, his son, comes along, and he's even worse. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. The the land is experiencing this devastating famine because of the evil of Ahab and the influence he's having on God's people. But Ahab's so twisted that he accuses Elijah of being the one that's guilty of this, the one who's at fault for the famine. But Elijah rejects the accusation. This is what he says in verses 17 and 18. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Well, it's quite a famous couple, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab married Jezebel. Uh, She's so wicked that her name even now is synonymous with kind of wickedness and scheming. She's basically a missionary, but not for God, for Baal. She brings hundreds of prophets along with her that eat at the the table. Um, And Ahab, the king, who should be the one leading the people in worship of God, the God of the Bible, becomes basically a builder of altars for Baal and ends up worshipping them. They believe that Baal was the god of um, fertility, of the rain, of storms. So this lack of rain, this lack of dew, was causing the Baal worshippers a bit of a crisis. And Elijah's message to Ahab that there'd be no more rain is a direct sort of attack on Baal's power. Now Jezebel's dad is called Ethbel, which basically means Baal is with him. It's like a sort of Christian twist of a name, isn't it? But on Baal, Baal is with him. That's Jezebel's dad. And Jezebel's kind of carried on this family religion. But then obviously we meet Elijah, and his name means Yahweh is my God, or my God is Yahweh. Yahweh, you might remember, is the special name of God in the Bible. When we see Lord, so you can see it in the title, Lord, when it's all capitals, that means Yahweh. It's God's special name. It's the God of the Bible. So here you have it. You've got Ahab and, and Jezebel and their God, Baal. It's their kind of family God. They're so linked to. And then you've got Elijah. And you've got his God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And in 1 Kings 18, we get a showdown, a contest, quite literally a firefight between these two gods. And we're going to find out who the real God is. And this is the question that dominates this chapter. Who is the real God? We're going to find out. Through Elijah, God throws down the gauntlet to Baal and to Ahab and to Jezebel. Now, I'm not a fan of boxing at all, uh, but this story is on the BBC Sports page at the moment. It went on last night. There are two boxers, I don't know them, Conlan and Lopez. And uh, I just want to read a few little bits from the, the article. Irish hopes were placed on Conlan as he welcomed Lopez to his backyard in Belfast. The mood from Conlan's camp had been positive all week, and the pre-fight build-up had been dominated by chants from the Conlan fans. 
As Conlan came out to the ring, the atmosphere was electric. And then it reports that in the fifth round, Lopez knocks Conlan to the floor. The vocal crowd were left stunned by the stoppage before Lopez was officially declared the winner. I think Michael Conlan underestimated my power, Lopez said. I wanted to come to Belfast so I could prove to myself that I'm a true champion. I really, really wanted to make a statement today. Well, in this showdown of the gods, it is Yahweh. It is the God of the Bible who will be making a statement in this showdown. Baal, like Conlan, will go into this this contest with all the advantages on his side. So we're going to see Baal's advantages. Firstly, in this contest, location. Location. Elijah says in verse 19, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah gives uh, Baal home advantage. Mount Carmel uh, was a limestone mountain that sort of juts into the Mediterranean. You can sort of see it jutting out on a map. And it's where Baal is often worshipped. So this is like their home ground. This is the home turf of Baal. Elijah says, okay, we meet, we meet at your place, where you're comfortable. There was an altar to God there, but it had been ruined uh, for quite some time. This was Baal's turf. Well, at least so Ahab and all the prophets thought. Because, of course, we, don't, we know, don't we, that the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But they seem to have the location what else do they have in this contest? They seem to have the support, like Conlan. Elijah stands alone on this mountain as the, the, the only representative of the God of the Bible. But Baal has the whole home crowd, 450 prophets. I think often when I've read this story before, I've kind of just known it as the 450 prophets and Elijah. But you've got the, those prophets, plus 400 of Asherah, or Asherah, and they have the royal backing of the king and the queen. And so, sort of picture this in your head if you can. I know some of you are very sort of visual and great imaginations. Picture this, this scene on this mountainside. And you've got 850 prophets. And then you've got the king arriving, escorted by this procession of soldiers and servants. And then also it talks about the fact that you've got all the people of Israel were there too. We're not given a number, but this is a significant amount of people. This is a huge crowd. Imagine the cacophony of noise that must have been there. And the people of Israel, they may not have been strictly on Baal's side, but they were certainly quite fond of Baal. Well, why would they be fond of him? Well, because... Baal supposedly offered the things to them that they wanted most. So things like rain, grain because of that, fruit, oil, wine, children, wealth, comfort. This is what Baal supposedly offered them. And as part of temple worship as well, they had temple prostitutes. Baal gave them the things that they desired, anything they wanted, the things that God said no to. And Baal promised things as well. Just the sort of things that farmers would really want. Baal was certainly a bit of a favourite amongst the people. 
If you wanted an easy life back then, go with Baal. Stick with what the king and queen are following. That will give you the easy life. But the Israelites hadn't completely forgotten Yahweh. That they know very well about the history. They know him, the God of Israel. But they want Baal as well. They, they want both. That, that kind of suits them ideally. We, 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 we want the, the God, yeah, the God that we know from history. But Baal as well. The God that gives us what we want. And then lastly, the third advantage was the challenge. So we see that in verses 23 and 24. And Elijah says, look, give us two bulls. They'll have one bull. I'll have one bull. We'll cut it in pieces. We'll put up this altar. Don't put fire underneath it. And basically, you call to your God. I'll call to my God. And, and the one that, the, the God that answers by fire, that God will be the winner. And all the people answered, it is well spoken, or good idea, we might say. Well, Baal is meant to be the god of the storm. So lightning and fire shouldn't be too much of a problem for him. This is, this is kind of his thing. Elijah's given every opportunity for Baal to shine, for Baal to show what he can do. God is taking on Baal at his very best. Of course, again, we know that in reality, Yahweh is the God of the storm. That's why you get Jesus on the boat, and he calms the storm so easily, because he is the God of the storm. The Baal prophets even get the first choice of bull. Everything's in their favour going into this contest. And the contest is nearly ready to begin. We're getting ready, but Elijah's got a bit more to say first. Make no mistake, this is an important contest. This is to decide who is the real God. Verse 21, and I want to spend some time thinking about this. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said this. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Slightly strange language, but hopefully you get the idea. Sort of going between these two gods, these two, what's right, what's wrong. You see, Elijah, he is a little bit like Jesus. He knows what's going on in their hearts. They wanted Yahweh, but they also wanted Baal. Sometimes they wanted Baal, but they also wanted a little bit of Yahweh. Sometimes they preferred Yahweh, sometimes they preferred Baal. You may get it when um, you're trying to decide a colour on something. You know, when you've got two colours of the same thing and you're sort of thinking which one do you go for and you sort of think oh I might go for that one you're just about to go out and you think actually I really like that that might look better and then you sort of gravitate towards that colour and actually that no that one might be and you're sort of there in the middle and you're dithering and sometimes it's great isn't it when someone comes along and just tells you the answer go with that one but but you get the idea that that's kind of what they're doing they're they're sort of they're in the middle and they're they're dithering and they, they want both They're limping between these two opinions. But God is a God of exclusivity. God is a God who will not share his throne. He doesn't share it with anything, especially man-made idols. Sitting on the fence is not an option. And at this point in the story, it's maybe a good thing to ask, well, where are we in this story? If we're sort of placing ourselves in this story, where might we be? And of course, most of us immediately go, well, of course, we're Elijah. 
You know, we're that lonely, brave champion of the faith. That'd be me back in those days. Well, that's probably not who we are, though. Praise God if there are times in our life when we are like that. We may not be the the Baal prophets. I hope we're not. But in 21st century England, we're not actually as far away as we might think. See, in Elijah's day, they worshipped different gods. And often they did that so that they would get different things. So they'd worship Baal so that they would get the rain, so that they would get the fruitfulness. They believed it was the gods that got them the money, the success, the luxury. Well, in the West, in 2023, most of us have just sort of cut out the middle man, or cut out the middle god, shall we say. Our idols may not be Baal or Asherah, but they may be money, or drink, or food, or sex, or success, or comfort. We still chase those things just as much, but maybe we don't worship an idol to get them. They become the idol. And our worship may not take on that same sort of fanatical chanting and dancing. We may not bow down to them in the same way that the prophets did there, but the way we daydream about things, the way we chase them, the way that we offer up our bodies and do anything it takes to get those things can be surprisingly similar to how they worshipped. But where do I think we are in this story? Well, I think we're probably the people in the crowd mostly. We're like the Israelites watching on this whole spectacle, seeing what's going on, seeing the two sides. And as Elijah's voice booms out over the mountainside to all the people of Israel, I think this evening it's booming out of God's word and it's coming to us in Crowborough 2023. And this is what Elijah is saying to us this evening. And God through Elijah. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you sit on the fence and not commit to God? How long will you go on trying to sort of worship God, but also trying to enjoy everything else and worship everything else at the same time and kind of have them both? How long will you go dithering in the middle without making a decision to follow God? You know, God is still the same now as he was back then. He won't share his throne with anyone. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But often we try and give it a good go, don't we? We try and do the whole serving two masters thing. The Bible says we can't serve God and money. You know, Judas is a good example of this. He he was very aware of Jesus, wasn't he? He spent so much time with him. He saw the miracles, he heard all the teaching, and yet he tried doing both. And the master of money won. And he ended up giving up his other master for a measly 30 pieces of silver. You know, there can be part of us that wants God so much, we kind of think, well, it sounds good, there's a a lot that's good about it. But there's so many other things we want as well. And we come along to church and maybe we even sort of listen a little bit. But we don't want to commit our whole life to God. We want a bit of of everything. We, We don't want to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Being in the middle, having a bit of everything is so much more comfortable. 
But you know, the Bible warns us that, that staying in the middle is the same as choosing to reject God. Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty, whoever is not with me is against me. Elijah carries on. If the Lord is God, that's where I got my title. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So simple, isn't it? Look, we've got this contest coming up. I know we haven't got there yet. We're we're getting there soon. This contest is coming up. If God wins, follow him. If Baal wins, follow him. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? Of course. It's a contest of the gods. You follow the winner. It makes so much sense. But the people don't answer him a word. They're silent. It's as if they kind of, they, they get the logic. They completely understand it. But they also know that if they fully agree to it, then they've got to commit to following whichever God wins. Elijah says, if the Lord is God, follow him. It makes sense, doesn't it? If God is God, then we should follow him. And we can understand that in our minds, can't we? But maybe you're sitting there this evening and you're thinking, I get that, but I don't want to accept that. Because if I accept that, then it means that I have to follow him. And life now is just too comfortable. It's just too easy. You know, you may have noticed uh, that I love speaking about God's grace. I love speaking about God's forgiveness. I love speaking about God's, God's warm invite to sinners. His invitation into his presence. I love talking about those things. But you know, that never means that God's invitation is just something that we can take or leave as we want. It doesn't mean that it's a light thing. And just go, oh, thank you, no, not for me. You know, God demands that we follow him. He commands us, follow me. Will you accept that if the Lord is God, then we should follow him? Well, of course, first we need to check out if he is God. (laughs) If he is the God, who wins the contest? Where the Baal prophets go first. I know many of you know the story. They take the ball that's uh, given to them. And again, just just reading this, um, again, when you're taking the details, just realising just how long it went on for. Yeah, again, in my head, so often these things are like a five-minute thing. But they call upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Now I think limp there is a bit of a a description of kind of how they were moving. But you kind of think, well maybe after all this movement, maybe they are limping. And at midday, Elijah mocks them. So they've been going for several hours already. And Elijah mocks them and he's like, well maybe your God's daydreaming. They used to delight in the fact that their gods were quite sort of human-like. So maybe he's daydreaming. Maybe he's asleep, maybe he's having a long nap. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Maybe he's gone to the toilet. And they get more and more serious. And again, this is something that really struck me reading it. And they cried aloud and cut themselves 
after their custom, so this was something they were used to doing to follow Baal, they cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. It's not a little scratch. They're, they're, they're in a frenzy now. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Well, we don't know about Yahweh yet, but Baal is well and truly out of the contest. Well, what about Yahweh? Will he do any better? Elijah says to the people, gather in, come close, and the people come near. And he repairs the altar that was there. He builds it up. He makes a trench around it. They're probably thinking, what are you doing? And then they pour 12 jars of water over it, so that not only is the altar soaked, but the trench around it is full of water. And then Elijah the prophet, he comes near and he prays. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known that this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And now I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. This is no mere flicker. The, the people aren't there sort of going, did you see it? No, I missed it. Are you sure? It, did, it definitely happened, did it? No, the whole thing's burnt up. The water's gone. It's, it's vaporised. God wins. Yahweh wins. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's the only appropriate response, isn't it, to an act of God like this? The Lord is God. And if the Lord is God, follow him. You know, God may look weak at times. Our society may have forgotten God. The numbers may be decreasing, but make no mistake, God is still on the throne, just like he was back in 1 Kings 18. He always has been, always will be. And so often he chooses to show his greatest power through weakness. So often the enemy looks strong. So often things look depressing. But God is powerfully working behind the scenes. Maybe you can think of examples. What about people like Gideon? Esther? Daniel? I'm sure you can think of others. You know, the Bible is full of accounts of his power. It should make us bow before him and say, he is God. He is God. And ultimately, we see it on Easter Sunday, where Jesus conquers death, showing he is God. And the Bible tells us, follow him. Just a quick thing for children and YPs particularly. Uh, Someone was telling me this week, Uh, that they decided to follow Jesus when they were challenged by this question, how long will you limp between these two different opinions? They realised that they needed to make a decision. They realised that they needed to follow Jesus. 
And so they did, and they got baptised in September 1993. 1993. And if you're under 18, and you can tell me by next week who that was, then I might be able to find a little chocolate bar for you. Be a good conversation starter with lots of different people, hopefully. But more important than that, I want you to go away thinking about yourself. Are you sitting on the fence between God and everything else? Maybe you need to decide this evening. God says, follow me. You know, we've got Dr. Rosie with us. And one of the stories that I've enjoyed her sharing is, is the man in the two canoes. And of course, at first it seems manageable, almost comical. But of course, you can't move anywhere like that. It can't last. You can't have one feet in each canoe. And really, we're being asked the same question. How, how long will you limp between the two opinions? We'd be in the middle. Joshua, in, the, uh, in his book, we see it where he says, Choose this day whom you will serve. He says, are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve all the other gods? Choose this day whom you will serve. And his answer, what he says, is what I hope is true for you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to sing now another song that reminds us of the power of God, the sovereignty of God. Sovereign Lord, we sing your glory. Yours is the eternal throne. Majesty and awesome power flow from God and God alone. Let's stand and sing.
let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you are God. Lord, the same God of the Bible who still reigns today. Lord, I pray that we would know that. Lord, I pray that we would see that. And Lord, I pray that we would follow you. Lord, if you are God, then you command us to follow you. And I pray that we would. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place without committing to follow you. Lord, if we're on the fence, if we're tempted to just be silent, Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. And Lord, I pray for those who have been following you for many years. Lord, I pray that you'd keep them. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to keep following. Keep each one of us. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring us safely back next week. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.